Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great and loving grace. Thank you for your incredible faithfulness. And as Amy said, Lord, remind us, because I know there's times when each of us forget, Father, that we may be struggling, we may be doubting, we may be fearful. But in all those moments, God, you have never failed us. You have never left us. And you have always gotten us through to the other side. And so, God, I pray as we seek you in your word today, and really we're going we're gonna to change directions a lot uh, from what we were just talking about, but I just know that as your spirit is our guide and our teacher, that you, Father, would help us to hear you. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I got two whole verses today, which I was being made fun of in Sunday school. I'm like, two verses? We might get out of here a little bit earlier. And I was laughed at. Can you believe it? Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, if you were to read verses 39 through 42, you would see that they really could all go together. So this is kind of going to be almost part one of this section. Uh, but as usually happens, uh, when I got up somewhere around four pages of notes for the first two verses, I decided, you know, we're going to stick with that. We'll just stay right there and we'll, we'll take the next few verses next week. Um, over the last couple of Sundays, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Plain, as it is called, uh, which is a similar message to the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we read in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and we last week, or two weeks ago, we studied the Beatitudes that are listed here for us. Um, like, I'm going to turn back real quick. Uh, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That started up in verse 20. And then uh, we also looked at the contrary woes. Last week... We focused on loving our enemies, which was fun for everybody, right? Uh, you know, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And so if you really want to feel uncomfortable and be a little convicted and you missed last week, I highly encourage you to check it out. Not because I'm great, but because the passage is worth meditating on. This week, we're going to dive into four commands that Jesus gives us. The first two are do-nots. The second two are do's. And all four surround the principle of sowing and reaping, which will come together by the time we are done. So this is always really fun for me. Uh, I love studying the word. I love sharing it. And so I first, the first part of that that I wrote, uh, that there are four commands that Jesus gives. The first two are do-nots. 
and the second two were dues. And that's what I had written in the introduction. And so then I started working through the message. And as I got to the end of verse 38, and I started looking back and I went, the whole thing is about sowing and reaping. The whole thing. So then I had to go back and add that sentence to the introduction. So that will make sense, I hope, if I, uh, you know, do my job well, and hopefully the Holy Spirit's the one at work, will make sense by the time we're done. So let's go back to verse 37, the first half of verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Those are the first two do nots, right? Do not judge and do not condemn. One of the most oft-repeated complaints or criticisms against the church and against Christians is that we are a judgmental lot. You ever heard that? Anybody ever complained at you? Oh, well, all Christians are just a bunch of judgmental people. Now, whoever said that is certainly going to hell. I'm glad you laughed. I actually wrote in my... That's a joke. I was going to make sure in case nobody laughed that that was a joke. Right? Because that is not what we want to be. Unfortunately, sometimes it's true, isn't it? Sometimes there are Christians who are the reason that people make that complaint. Now, what really cracks me up is, oh, well, you know, you call yourself a Christian and you say you preach about love, but you're really judgmental. What a hypocrite you are. What is that? That statement is it's a little bit judgmental too, isn't it? Right? Well, if, you know, if you call somebody a hypocrite, you, you are one. Uh, it's just the way it typically works. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, come join us. We have a great time together. Right? Because the church is not for perfect people. If the church was for perfect people, everyone in here except my wife would have to leave. It's the reason I'm still alive. Right? I'm really annoying and obnoxious, but I butter her up a lot. And it, it balances out in the end. Um, right? But we would all have to leave because none of us are perfect. So let's take a look at what this does and does not mean. Because as followers of Christ, we are clearly taught not to judge. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. The word for judge here in Greek is karino. Carino, K-R-I-N-O, and it means to decide mentally or judicially and then to condemn, punish, avenge, or sentence. So it is to make a final decision. That's what the word here means when it means to judge. So if I were to look at somebody and say, you are going to hell and think that I had the final say in that, I would be wrong because that's not my place. Now I can tell somebody or I can tell you or I can proclaim to the world that if you reject Jesus Christ as your savior, then eternal condemnation is what's waiting for you. Oh, you're so judgmental. That's not me. That's the word of God. The word says that, not me. Because if I were to say that to somebody, what I would follow it up with is, but God has given you a way out. God has given you a way to avoid that. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. But Jesus himself said right after that verse in John 3.16 that if you reject him, then there's nothing left but judgment. 
So judge, to decide mentally or judicially. Now the word condemn, right? Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. The word here is kata de gadso. Say that three times fast. And it means not just to make that decision. You're guilty. But once you pronounce guilt, to execute judgment. Which would mean if I were to pronounce you guilty, then I would be the one to deal out your punishment. I don't have that right. And neither do you. It's not our place. And we're told here very simply that if we judge or condemn others, we ourselves will be judged and or condemned. And then we are told, Jesus adds in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 2, that we will be judged or condemned by the same standard that we use. So you all know I'm a fan of pickleball. Have I mentioned that before? Is that, is that new? Once or twice? Okay. Not just in case you didn't know. And one of the things that I have discovered, and um, uh, other folks who play pickleball will probably be able to, you know, confirm this, that when you're generous with your line calls, the other side tends to be generous with their line calls. And what I mean by that... <laughs> Nancy's like, uh-uh. Well, is it just apply to you, or is it Galen? Or, but what I've discovered, it, I mean, it's it's true for me. If somebody, if I know a ball in and, and and my opponent calls it out, you can bet the next ball they hit across that's even close is going to be out. We have a friend we play with, uh, 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 Tony uh, McBride, and he often says, "When in doubt, call it out." <laughs> right? That's how you win. Uh, but if I think, if I, hit a, if I hit a ball and I'm like, ooh, I'm not sure, and they go, oh, no, that was in, there's a pretty good chance that when they hit a ball, that if I'm not quite sure, I'm going to call it in because I'm going to return the favor, especially when we're just playing in rec, right? Because there's, no, there's nothing on the line. We're just having fun. We're supposed to be anyway. But with the same standard you use, that's what I was attempting to illustrate, that's what will be measured back to you. So if you're extremely harsh with another person, what do you think is going to come back? Now, only God can judge and execute judgment, especially in eternal matters. And so as a result, we keep our hands off of that. It's not ours to touch. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Hebrews 10, verses 30 through 31, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, we've talked about vengeance. Last week, when we talked about loving our enemies, we talked about vengeance. And I am a very vengeful person. Now, thankfully, between the grace and power of my Lord and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, and to a slightly lesser degree, the level-headedness of my wife, I don't act on it. I want to. Oh, I want to. Anybody else? Am I the only one? 
right? I want to be revengeful. Revengeful? I want to be all revengey. That's my favorite word lately. I want to get back. I want to cause pain to the person who's caused me pain. If they've tried to ruin my reputation, I want to try to ruin theirs. If they've lied about me, I want to lie about them. Right? Because that's what Jesus would do. Put it on your little bracelet. What would Jesus do? And what did we talk about last week? When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed for the forgiveness of his executioners. That's what Jesus would do. He didn't get vengeful. There will come a day. There will come a day when God will execute justice. We may not get to see it. And frankly, as you start to get past the hurt and God works in you and helps you begin to forgive, you start to pray for those people. Because I guarantee whatever he is going to do to that person is a whole lot worse than what I could come up with if they don't repent. Now, if they repent and they seek God for forgiveness, he is gracious and he is merciful and he will forgive them. And I don't begrudge him that. You want to know why? Because he forgave me. But that's for the next point. Vengeance is not ours. So judgment and condemnation is not ours. But then we have to ask the question, is there a time we can judge? Is there? Ever? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test all things. Hold fast what is good. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The word for, in Greek for test here in both passages is dokomatso. Wow, is the mic just a little too high? I keep popping. I'm going to move it down. Uh, it's dokomatso, and it means to test, but also to approve, allow, discern, or examine. So while we have no place to decide someone is worthy of punishment, particularly eternal punishment, nor do we have the right to execute that punishment, we are to judge certain things. We have to. For example, when we talk about that verse from 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So because of that and many other passages, we should test teaching. We should test teaching, right? You all and me as well, we should be getting into the word on our own and making sure whether it's you listening to me or any of us listening to any pastor, teacher, author, podcaster, YouTuber, I don't care who it is, we should be testing whether or not they are teaching the word of God correctly. We have to. The Bible tells us to. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, we're taught to be Bereans. And there, it says that the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness. And then they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Right? You come to church, I hope you come with an open heart. 
open ears, a desire to hear the word, a desire to understand, to grow, to learn from and apply the word of God in your own life. And then what you should do is you take the little note sheet home and you should open your Bible and you should go through the scriptures and find out if I made a mistake. I want you to. Because if I made a mistake, I need to know so I can repent real quick. Because James 3.1 reminds me constantly, let not many of you become teachers, for you shall receive the stricter judgment. I don't want to make a mistake. And I work, I hope, really hard and really prayerfully throughout the word so that when I bring this to you on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I'm not making a mistake. But you should not take my word for it. Now, I would love for you all to go, oh, Jason's the final authority on scripture. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. Because I'm not. The final authority on scripture is scripture. And you all are filled with the Holy Spirit just as I am as believers in Jesus Christ, which means he will teach you what it says the same way he teaches me and everyone who's come before me. But don't take my word for it. You listen to your favorite guy on YouTube or gal, whoever, fine. Listen, I encourage it. I listen to other pastors. Why? Because I don't like to listen to myself. I listen to other pastors. And every now and then I will be listening to a sermon from another pastor and I'll go, huh, that ain't right. And I'll check it out. And when I figure out whether or not maybe I just heard it wrong or maybe they were really saying something that was wrong, guess what I do with that teacher? I stop listening. Oh, but it was just one thing. What did Jesus teach us? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul taught us the same thing. Oh, yeah, they have this one doctrine that's kind of wrong. But the rest of their stuff is fine. No! It's the classic illustration. The whole glass is filled with water. There's only a drop of cyanide in it. Just a little bit. It's just a little bit wrong. It's just a little bit wrong. No, if there's a little bit wrong, it's all wrong. But the only way we can do that is if we're in the word ourselves and then we have to make a judgment call. Now, I'm not going to tell you that so-and-so is going to hell. That's not up to me. And I don't know what their relationship with the Lord is like. But I'm going to guess, according to the word of God, and then something we're going to talk about next week, which is the evidence or the fruit in their lives, that they probably don't have a relationship with the Lord Because if you have a relationship with the the Lord, you are not going to misrepresent his word. That's not how that works. So be Bereans. There's one example. Another example comes from 1 Corinthians 15.33, which says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We're told right there to judge the company we keep as to whether or not that company is evil. Right? That's a type of judgment. Now, are we condemning that person? Are we executing the punishment on that person? No, that's not our job. But say you have a relationship with somebody and that person is trying to get you to walk down a path of sin. Should you continue in that relationship? Probably not. Right? What if it's somebody you're related to? Well, then you might not have as much choice, but you can limit interaction. Right? Sometimes you have to. There are people in my life, and I, I know I've mentioned this before, but there are people in my life, people who I love dearly that I don't talk to. 
And it's not because I hate them. It's not because I'm trying to punish them. It's because they have repeatedly tried to lead me away from Christ. And I don't want that influence in my life. The influence I want in my life is people are going to help me walk closer to him, not pull me farther away from him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't interact with the world, because if we don't interact with the world, how can we share the gospel with them? We have to interact with the world around us. But there comes a time when you got to go, yeah, I'm, i got to put some distance here, because evil company corrupts good habits. Now, you might not want to use that phrase. I did once with a friend of mine when I first got saved. Can you imagine how well that was received? Um, I was trying to win the guy to Christ, and I told him he was evil. I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? So it's okay to examine our company. It's okay to look at the fruit of those around us or, or whatnot and to make that decision. We don't condemn. We don't deal out the judgment. But we must test all things and hold fast to what is good. So that we don't listen to false teaching. So we don't get involved with corrupting influence. So we don't make decisions like maybe, oh, I could take that job, but if I take that job, well, it's going to cause me to lie. I once had to quit a job because my boss kept trying to get me to lie. And, you know, you might, it was a little, oh, it's just a little thing. And it was. In the grand scheme of things, like I wasn't committing fraud or, or, or anything like that. It was a little thing. But I remember going, I'm not going to lie about it. It would be wrong. So I quit. And it was real funny. I gave my two weeks notice. I did it right. And at the end of the two weeks, my boss gave me, oh, we could have just talked about it. I said, I tried. You told me you wouldn't listen. Anyways, that was 20 some years ago. Um, but sometimes you have to make that call. And that's okay. Not condemnation. But sometimes you have to look at something and go, yep, that ain't right. And I'm not going to be part of it. And that's okay. 37B, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, I love the word forgiven because this word means everything to me because my God, my amazing God has forgiven the absolute worst in me. In Greek, the word is apoluo and it means to free fully, release or set at liberty. I love this word. When we forgive, we forgive completely and entirely, or it's not forgiveness. Right? So imagine you got you got a we, we keep our dogs in crates when we're not at home. One of our dogs has uh, severe separation anxiety, and if he is not in a confined space, he tears up everything. Now when we're home, he's not like that. He doesn't tear up anything. But if he's left alone, he tears up everything. We've even gotten to the point that we now typically leave music on. Uh, YouTube has these channels called Relaxing Dog Music. And we leave on relaxing dog music to try to keep our dogs happy. And then if there's a storm, we drug them. We have trazodone from the vent. right? We give them a trazodone, the relaxing dog music. We put them in their crate. And sometimes he still freaks out. Now just imagine this. They get really excited when we get home because they get to get out of their crate. We take them out. They get to run around and we're home, right? Yeah, my, our people, our people are home. 
Now, just imagine, though, if before we opened the cage, we hooked up the leash and tied it to the back of the crate. Open the door, and the dog runs out and stops because they're attached by the leash. Or maybe because our dogs are, are strong enough, they could pull the cage with them, but they're still attached. Are they really free? That's what we do when we don't forgive completely. I think I used the illustration a week or two ago that, right, I'll bury the hatchet, but I'm going to leave the handle out so I can find it when I need it. That's not forgiveness. And what happens? Now, the other person, if they are seeking your forgiveness, that will damage the relationship further. And if they're not seeking forgiveness, they don't care that they've hurt you, but you hold on to unforgiveness, all it does is cause a root of bitterness to grow in you or me. And it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Now Jesus expanded on this in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, how many of us love that verse? Honest group, I appreciate it. Here's, here it is. And I've said this before, and I will say it again, and every time I come across this verse, I will always say this. There is no interpretation of this verse. There is no fancy way of explaining this away. And I have heard people try. I have heard Christians try. Well, you know, it says that if you forgive men, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, then your Father won't forgive you. But that doesn't apply to my situation. Yes, it does. Well, but you don't understand how badly they hurt me. Yes, I do. And more importantly, he does. I do understand. It doesn't change what this says. There is no way to get rid of this verse. There's no way to get rid of any verse in Scripture. But in this verse, it says very clearly, if we refuse to forgive someone else, our Father will not forgive us. Oh, I don't like that. Me neither! I don't want to do it. Me neither. But we have to. I'm pretty sure you want to be forgiven before God. I know I do. And if I go before God and I ask for forgiveness for the horrible things that I've done, and sometimes still do, and then I look at somebody who's wronged me and I go, but yeah, but lightning and thunder and brimstone and fire, but forgive me. Uh -uh. It's not how it works. I don't ever ask for God's justice upon anybody else. Want to know why? Because I don't want his justice on me. I deserve it. So do they. No doubt about it. I don't want his justice. I want his mercy. I want his forgiveness. And so I should want that for other people. And this is why Ephesians 4.32 commands us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive you? Freely. Freely. Totally, completely, 
and without condition in Christ. You come to him through Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. And then we turn around and we can say, I love God. This is what 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says, I love God, but I hate you. No. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. Now, again, I've heard people try to explain this away. Oh, well, the word brother there is speaking about relationships within the family or relationships within the church. Wrong. The word in Greek speaks of the brotherhood of humanity. The brotherhood of humanity. So it's not just the people sitting in this building. It's not just the people that you're related to by blood or by paper. It's every single person you meet. We are not supposed to hate. As followers of Christ, there is no place for hate in our hearts. There is one exception. Brussels sprouts. You can hate Brussels sprouts and still follow Jesus. But as a follower of Christ, you cannot hate other people. Oh, but, but what, if, what if they're of a different religion in another country and they're terrorists and they want to kill us? Do we hate them? No. Well, what, if, what if they have a different, different political persuasion than we do? Can we hate them? No. What if they go to a different church and their church doesn't agree with everything our church agrees with? Should we hate them? No. What if instead of rooting for the Denver Nuggets, they rooted for the Los Angeles Lakers? We pity them. We pray for them. But we don't hate them. All right, we can keep going down the list. Oh, well, what about all these trans activists? We should hate them, right? They're trying to corrupt the lives of small children. Well, we should hate that part. But not them. They are human beings that God loves. Every single one of them. God loves them. He loves us. And if they turn from their sin through Jesus Christ, he will forgive them the same way he forgives us. There is no room for hate in the hearts and lives of those of us who call ourselves Christians. None whatsoever. Verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, years and years and years and years and years ago, where the church that I got saved in, and I'm very grateful for that church, because I heard the gospel, and I came to know Christ, and I'm forever grateful for that church. But every week, when it came time to pass the offering plate, the pastor would get up, and, and expound upon this verse. All right, now, as that plate goes around, 
Just remember that as you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. So dig deep. Maybe you wrote a check, but perhaps you need to write another. Maybe you took the 20 out of your wallet, but maybe God wants you to give 50. And he would wax eloquent for five or six minutes on how important it was to give. I remember one time, I don't know if Leah remembers this, he actually passed the plate a second time. Do you remember that? Passed the plate a second time. Really? So now, I'm going to launch into an extensive teaching on why you should all be giving more. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. You all know me better than that. Now, this passage can be applied to giving in a material sense. We're going to talk about it in a moment. But what it is referring to is the biblical principle of sowing and reaping and the promise that comes from generosity. So, the principle of sowing and reaping, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, is one of the best places to find it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Does that have anything to do with money? No, doesn't have anything to do with money. The principle of sowing and reaping goes way beyond that. But just because I need to be faithful to the text, and so we can get it out of the way, it does apply to material giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now there are a lot of scriptures about giving financially in the Bible. Places like Malachi 3, 8 through 12. But I always come back to this passage. And this is what it boils down to. If putting that check in or that cash is a problem for you, then keep it. Keep it. If putting that check in makes you angry, stinking church just wants my money. No, we don't. Want to know what I want? I want you to go to heaven. And you can't buy your way there anyway. Now, if you love what we're doing as a ministry and feel called to support it, awesome. All the better. I like to eat. My paycheck helps with that. But that's not why, I I don't care if that's why you're here. I get in trouble for this. I've not, not from our elders. I've gotten in trouble from this at another church before. Where I've, I've said similar things. I don't care. It's not about the money. I have no idea what everybody, anybody gives. I don't count the money. I don't look at the bank account. I, I don't. I have nothing to do with it. And I never will. I don't want to know. Because I love you for you. Not for the, the size of the check you put in the offering. And I'm going to love you for you even if you don't put anything in the plate. Because I don't care. That's not my issue. Jesus gives us two principles that we should give cheerfully and that we should give sacrificially. Now what that means for you and what that means for me is between us and God. It's not between you and me. It's not. And it never will be. And we're going to talk about it more as we go through the book of Luke, so I'm not going to beat it up here. We are commanded to give in Scripture. It's that simple. How much... And where is between you and God? And I will never ask you. So let's get back to the principle in general. With the same measure you give, it will be measured back to you. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. And here it comes with the promise of abundant blessing. 
right? It'll be given back to you in good measure, which means valuable portion. It'll be pressed down, which means to squeeze or pack, shaken together, which means to agitate, and running over, which means overflowing the vessel. So this is what I think of. Um, Beans or rice, right? You can pour beans into a jar. I don't do that because I don't have dried beans at home. But if you pour them into the jar, what do you do? You shake it so it settles, and it'll make a little more room. Then you can pour a little more in, and you shake it, and it settles. And you can keep doing that to make sure you get enough in there. And that's what this is talking about. This is what God will do. And it's not money. It can be, but it's not just money. The principle of sowing and reaping applies to every aspect of our lives and to everything that we can give. Yes, that includes money, but it includes your time. It includes your gifts. It includes your service. It includes you praying. It includes all kinds of stuff. If you want a stronger, more intimate, growing relationship with the Lord, you ignore him. You keep your Bible closed, you don't pray, and you don't come to church, and you're just going to grow and flourish as a follower of Christ, right? No, you invest in that relationship by spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer. If you want to be spiritually and emotionally healthy, you invest in that through spiritual disciplines, through sowing to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Maybe you see a good therapist. I don't know, but you have to put into it. Think about marriage. If you want a healthy marriage, or any healthy relationship for that matter, you have to invest in that relationship. You can't ignore your spouse and expect in six months that your marriage is going to be stronger than it was six months ago, or ten years ago, or however long you've been married. That's not how it works. If you want to be physically healthy, you invest in that through eating well and exercising. We won't talk about cupcakes. If you want to be part of a healthy church, then you invest in your church. Not necessarily financially, although that may be part of it. But you invest in your church. I've been doing this for a long time. And I've had a lot of people over the years who have come to me and said, well, you know, as a church, we should be doing this. And I go, I think that's a great idea. Let me know when you're going to start. Oh, well, well, but no, you, you don't understand. No, I do understand. You want me to do it. But it sounds like God's put it on your heart. I'll support you however I can. That's why I've said that before. That's why a lot of people here don't come to me and say, I have a really great idea. (laughs) I'm all for it. You have an idea that's going to help our church become more healthy? Do it. You have my support. You have an idea for reaching out with the gospel of people in our community? Awesome. Go for it. You have my support. I will help in any way I can. Our elders, we will help in any way we can. The church as a whole. We should all get into it. But if you want me to do it, I'm probably going to say no. I'm busy enough. And that's not because I'm trying to make excuses. It's just you can only do so much by yourself. But we all want our church to be healthy, which means we should all be part of that. If you want to learn to play a musical instrument, have I made my point yet? Am I getting there? I've got a few more. If you want to learn to play a musical instrument, you'll get out of it what you put into it. If you want to be good at pickleball, it's in there, I promise. I didn't make that up. Right? You're going to get out of it what you put into it. If you want to destroy yourself spiritually, 
emotionally or physically, you can invest in that too. Though I would highly recommend that you don't. But we see people doing it all the time, don't we? Food, drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, just overconsumption of online content, which is destructive to us emotionally and spiritually and physically. Or someone, oh, I want to be healthy. Okay, but I really want to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos. I get it. I want to do both as well. Only one of those can win. Most of the time, I don't sit on the couch and eat Cheetos. Every now and then is okay. But if you want to be healthy, that can't be your lifestyle. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever we put into anything is what we will get out of it. And this is extremely important in all aspects of our lives, but it is vital in our spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord. This investment doesn't save us. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. But if you want to grow, if you want to become the person God has created you to be, which is what I want for you, which is what I want for me, it's what I hope you want for yourself, then you've got to put the time in. It doesn't happen overnight. Proverbs eleven seventeen through 19 says this, A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself, sowing and reaping. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. He who pursues evil will die. Proverbs 22, 8, 9, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. The principle of sowing and reaping. So many people get into all kinds of trouble because they don't understand this principle. Over the years, I've had many people come to me, seen many people in churches, well, I don't understand. I don't, does God hate me? Oh, what's going on? Well, I mean, just my life is a mess. Well, tell me about it. Well, my girlfriend broke up with me, or my boyfriend broke well, up. What happened? Well, we were living together, and I thought things were going great. Oh, well, let's stop right there. I can already tell you what's wrong. You were living in sin, and you can't figure out why that went wrong. I don't get it, right? I, I, I love my wife. I work hard, but she wants to leave me. Well, well, tell me what's going on. I don't know. I mean, she smiles at me when I leave to go play golf on Saturdays. She gives me a kiss before she goes to church on Sundays, and I need to sleep in because I work hard during the week. When I call her and tell her I'm going to stay late at work because i got a big presentation, she's okay with it. When I tell her I'm going to go get a beer with the guys after work because I need to calm down before I come home, she never says anything. And one day I came home and she just left. No, she didn't. You pushed her out. It's a difference. It's a big difference. But I've heard this stuff. I've heard it over and over and over again. So many times people come to me for counseling and, and maybe they're not in some gross sin. And by gross, I don't mean like you. I mean, you know, big, right? Maybe they're not in some huge sinful thing. They're not committing adultery. They're not, uh, you, you know, a drug addict or whatever it might be. But they come to me. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't feel God's presence. I read the word or, and it feels empty. Okay, well, tell me what's going on. 
How often are you reading the Bible? Well, I, I pick it up once or twice a week. How much time do you spend in prayer? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really busy, but I try. This is my favorite one, especially when they come to our church. When was the last time you were in church? Yeah, I dare you to lie. Because I know. I was up here. I saw. <laughs> well, I was there last week. Uh-uh. If we had a church of 8,000 people, maybe you could get away with that. We don't even have 80, right? If you're not here, I notice. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Sometimes you miss church. I, I get that. But I've had people try to lie to me about that. Oh, I was in church last Sunday. It's never happened here, but it's happened at another church. No, you weren't. Well, sure I was. I'm like, dude, I was there. I stood up front for an hour and talked to everybody. You weren't one of them, I promise. Oh, well, I did listen to the sermon later on. No, you didn't. <laughs> you just, right, it's, it's not worth it. But it can always be boiled down to, what are you investing in? And if you're having those kind of troubles, I guarantee, even if it's not a big sin, you're probably not in the Word. You're probably not in prayer. You're probably not in church. You're probably not serving. It's just what happens. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. So as we close today, I do want to point out that everything we talked about in these two verses revolves around that principle. When we sow judgment, what do we reap? Judgment. When we sow condemnation, we reap condemnation. When we sow forgiveness, we reap the same. And how we sow determines what we reap. If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. If we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. And this applies to everything. People look at me, and, and believe me, my wife and I, we have problems. We're not perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. She's pretty close. Um, we have our issues like any other married couple. But talk to Jack and Amy. They'll tell you, you guys have been married. It's 40-something now, right? 50-something. It's over 50. 57. 50. They've been married longer than I've been alive. They were married 11, nine years when I was born. No, 11 years. 11 years when I, you guys had already been married for 11 years when I was born. Ask them. Ask us. Or anybody else who's been married for a long time. What's the secret? You guys never fight, right? Nope, we fight. You guys are never angry with each other, right? No, no, we, we, we get angry with each other sometimes. What's the secret? Forgiveness. And when things got hard, we didn't leave. Now, I know there's a lot of situations in the world, and life isn't perfect, and this isn't meant to condemn or put anybody down or anything of the sort. But you don't make it 57 years without investing. You don't. You don't make it, we're going on 26 years. I was really proud of 26. 57, wow. Right? But you don't get there without investing. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And that is purely by the grace of God. It has nothing to do with me. But you don't get there without investing. And if you invest bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you invest sparingly, then don't complain about the outcome. So let's close as we usually do with a couple questions to help us all feel really bad. No, I'm joking. That's it's never the point. The first step in a life of forgiveness 
is to come to Jesus and be forgiven of your sin by placing your faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for you through his death and resurrection. So if there's anyone listening, anyone here, anyone online or who listens to this recording later, come talk to us. Leave us a a comment on Facebook. Send us a message through our website. I don't care how you get in touch. We want you to know Jesus Christ. But the second one, and I kind of cheated. It's really three questions, but I just put it under number two. It's time for some honest self-reflection. Number one, or letter A. Is there anyone in our lives who we are judging or wanting to condemn? Please don't answer out loud or don't raise your hand. But if you spend a little bit of time this week reflecting on that question prayerfully and in light of the word, you're going to get the same answer I got. Yep. Several. More than several. I'm sorry, Lord. I had to repent of that. Number two, is there anyone in our lives from whom we are withholding forgiveness? Or, along those same lines, is there anybody that we hate? It's not for us. And in taking stock of our lives, are we reaping what we want to reap in every aspect of our lives? Now, if you say yes to that, you're a liar. So, right, none of us probably are. I can't, I've never met anybody who was. I have never met a person that didn't go, well, you know, I need to grow here or I need to work on that. We all have that. So this is not meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to make you think. Because if there are aspects of our lives where we're not reaping what we would like to reap from that, then we need to evaluate and adjust what we're sowing. If you want corn in the field, you can't plant Brussels sprouts. Right? You want to reap a greater spiritual life, you have to sow greater spiritual things. You want to reap better relationships, you have to invest in those relationships. And I say all of this to you, knowing what God has spoken to me about this week. I feel for you. Because now you get to do it this week. <laughs> been a rough week for me. Remember? Floor, tears, all that. There was a lot that went into that. Because none of us are perfect. And rejoice, we can be imperfect together. And by God's grace, we can grow together. And see his work in our lives, and in our church, and in our community. And it's awesome. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for loving me because I know I don't deserve it. I thank you, God, that you have forgiven the worst in me. And I pray that you would give me the grace to forgive others the same way. And Father, for myself and my brothers and sisters here, I know in all of our lives there's things that you want us to grow in. Show us, Father, and help us to sow into those things. Lord, in all things, I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.